Good morning. It's great to see you this morning, as is always the case. Our Sunday crowd varies, uh, <coughs> excuse me, varies a bit, <coughs> pardon me, week to week. We've got several of our own number who are out and away and traveling, uh, but we have several who are back with us. I did not expect to see Tom Levi today, and I'm very grateful to see him. I know he's grateful to be here. Uh, many others who are sometimes away from us for health reasons that we're glad that you are with us today, and we have several visitors in our midst. We're thankful that you have come our way as well, and we always try to mention our full slate for the day that you can stay and be a part of any or all of it. We'll have lunch here in just a few moments. We're back to our potluck for this particular week that we uh, used to have before we get on to some uh, theme lunches, and then we'll have our afternoon service. You would be blessed to stay and be a part of that because we'll be singing as it is the fifth Sunday. Uh, I enjoy preaching, but I also really enjoy singing and getting to lead, and so we'll look forward to that time together. It's a beautiful day. I don't know that it's Jeff Strasner's favorite time of the year because it's impossible to keep this auditorium the right temperature when you need your shorts and your t-shirt today and you'll need your parka and your toboggan on Tuesday or on Wednesday night, so it's almost impossible. Uh, in Tennessee, we was telling someone the other night, we had a friend uh, when we were at Freed Hardeman who was from Florida, and he'd come up to school, and he wore flip-flops year-round, basically. And, of course, his point was, why would I change? I don't know what it's going to be today. I don't know what it'll be tomorrow. And I'll just wear them all the time, and it'll probably fit uh, more often than not. So the weather changes a bunch, um, but we're thankful that you are here. We can enjoy this beautiful day together. Questions. The Bible is full of questions, and we often use questions to help us try to work through life. Maybe you've been a teacher before, or maybe you had a teacher before who said the statement, there are no bad questions. And maybe you've said that before, been in one of those rooms where then a kid in the middle of English class raises his hand and says, why is the earth round? And you say, okay, maybe that's a bad question. Or at least that's a bad question right now in the middle of English class to be trying to understand why the earth is round. And so there are sometimes maybe bad questions, but yet questions do a lot of good for us, right? They help us understand the world around us. In fact, we are still at that place in our home, even though our kids are getting older, where sometimes they always are asking questions. Sometimes those maybe seem annoying to us as parents and they're frustrating, but often they are simply trying to get information. Now, sometimes it may be what time is supper for the 12th time during the afternoon, but sometimes there are questions where they're just trying to learn about life and the way that things work. And so this morning, we're going to talk about asking questions. When we think about the Bible, I think we can say this morning that there are some bad questions, but there are also some good questions. If you have a bulletin in front of you and you're going to be following along, I did not differentiate between the bad and the good, but we're going to look at some different types of questions this morning. They're all going to begin with the letter C, if I'm not mistaken, but there are some to begin with that may be considered bad questions, or maybe the better way to say it would be the bad, the wrong spirit, or a bad spirit, or a bad attitude behind the question. And then we're going to finish up, of course, with talking about some good questions. To begin this morning, let's look at some bad questions that we find in scripture. The first, sometimes people ask questions because they're seeking to clear themselves. They're seeking to clear themselves. Another way that we sometimes read this in scripture, though, of course, is the word justify. 
But, of course, the word justify doesn't begin with the letter C. So it doesn't make it into the outline, right, as a preacher. But they're seeking to justify themselves or to clear themselves. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. The parable of the Good Samaritan is found in Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse number 25. It's one of the most famous parables, of course, in all the Bible that Jesus tells. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse number 25. As was often the case as Jesus is teaching, he's going to use a question to help him teach in some regard. Verse 25 begins with a question. As a certain lawyer stands up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now again, on the surface, that's not a bad question. There's nothing wrong with that. So Jesus tells him, and actually, what does Jesus do in telling him? But he asks him a question. And so in verse number 27, the young man answers that. Jesus answers in verse 28, but then in verse number 29, but he, we get an insight through the Holy Spirit by the pen of Luke. We get an insight into what this lawyer is thinking. He wanting to clear himself or justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Sometimes that's the case with us. We're only asking questions in order to try to clear our own conscience of something, in order to try to justify ourselves in what we are already doing. Now, the, the sort of the theme or the pattern for this morning is we're going to make our, our main point, and then we're going to look at, of course, some supporting scripture. But then what we're going to try to do with almost every one of our points this morning is, is try to put it to a modern-day illustration or a modern-day question, something that somebody might ask even today. But there are certainly times where people are seeking simply to clear themselves of the way that they are asking. Now, this is not a question that many of you ask very often, but it ties into an old preacher story that I've heard many times before. A man traveled to see a preacher, and he came to the preacher. He said, Preacher, I'm, I'm feeling a little guilty. I, I stole a pig. Will you take it? Of course, the preacher said, absolutely not. I, I'm not taking the pig. You stole it. I'm not taking it. So the man looked at the preacher. He said, well, then what, what should I do? And the preacher, of course, told him, he said, you give it back. You stole the pig. You give it back. That's the right thing to do. And the man said, well, what if the person that I stole it from won't take it back? And the preacher thought about it for a second. He said, well, then I guess you can keep it. I mean, if you won't take it back, I guess that you would, would have to keep it. So the man felt a little bit better about it. And the preacher felt better, better about giving some advice until he went home and realized that he was missing a pig. And so, he, you know, I mean, he, the guy was seeking only to justify himself, right? He said, I tried, and I'm only asking this question so I'll feel better about what I have done. And sometimes we do the same thing. It's not so funny in the funny illustration kind of way. But we only ask questions when we're, we've already done something, right? This would get back to what kids do sometimes. Maybe they've already broken something. Maybe they've already stolen something or they've done something. And they come and they ask the question, well, is that okay? Or would you be mad if I did this and they've already done it? Sometimes we ask questions to clear ourselves. And that's not exactly a good kind of question. Number two this morning, some people ask questions to contend with others. You ever know someone that we would call contentious? Sometimes we know those kinds of people, and they're difficult because they only ask questions, we might also say, to cause problems. 
amongst others, right? To contend with others. We think about 2 Timothy chapter 2. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and Paul would discuss this when he's giving encouragement to Christians. Christians today, well, not in that moment, he's right in the first century, excuse me, but 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 14. 2 Timothy 2, 14. Paul would write to Timothy to encourage these Christians. He says, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit to the ruin of the hearers. We kind of twist that sometimes, right, as parents, when we say, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Some people, when they speak, they only speak words of no profit. Go down to verses 23 and 24. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, and patient. He's saying, avoid those people who are just contentious. In fact, if you turn over a page in your Bible, maybe to Titus chapter 3 and verse number 9, he gives us one such example. He says it again, but avoid foolish disputes. And then he uses a phrase that we can understand, even though we may not do it as much today, but he uses the word genealogies. Avoid foolish disputes and genealogies, contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. The genealogies, of course, that he's speaking here is that they would spend time going through their family history to make the argument of what genealogy they were from or what lineage they were from. That is something that they would spend time, or we might better say waste time, trying to do. He says it's not worth it. In connection with that, he talks about striving about the law there at the end of verse number 9. We are not living under the law. Being from the seed of Abraham is not as important anymore because the gospel is for all. So avoid these foolish and ignorant disputes and strifes, arguing about genealogies. They are unprofitable and useless. Some people ask questions just to argue. Have you ever been in one of those conversations before? You got to the end and you said, why, why are we still arguing? Why are we still talking? Because we're not getting anywhere. You're just trying to cause an argument. Sometimes we know that's the case, both from Scripture and in our own personal lives, but we might certainly group this together as a bad question. One of the questions that some people might ask today is, can God make a rock so big that he can't move it? Well, now, you may have heard that before, and sometimes that comes up in debate or some kind of discussion about the existence of God. And I guess this could have its place, in a sense, as we try to wrap our human minds around an eternal God who is all-knowing and all-powerful. But yet some people, specifically today when it comes to social media or the Internet or some of these things, they'll ask these kinds of questions just to cause an argument. Because... The simple answer to this question is another question. What does it have to do with my salvation? Right? What does it have to do with me getting to heaven? It does help me. It can try to help me understand God or wrap my, my mind around an eternal God. But really, it's just maybe to cause an argument about the existence of God or atheism or something along those lines. We need to avoid the questions that are simply trying to contend or argue with others. Number three, some people ask questions sometimes just to criticize. 
They're simply trying to criticize. We certainly see this borne out in the Old Testament and really, again, all throughout the pages of the Bible. Turn in your Bible to Job, Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. Some people in the Bible are trying to criticize God. You remember that there at the beginning of Job, as Satan has been going about on the earth, going to and fro, walking back and forth, he essentially has control of the earth, not in the way that God does, of course, but of the, the sinful people. He kind of has these people who are doing his bidding as opposed to following and obeying God. And Satan has been doing this. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Verse number 8. Then in verse 9, Satan answered and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You see, what this is, is this is Satan trying to attack or criticize, criticize God. He's essentially saying, You have blessed Job in such a way that you have bought him off. You have bribed him. You protected him so much that of course he's going to follow you. And this is absolutely a criticism. Sometimes people ask questions to criticize God. But what about in Genesis chapter 3? You're certainly more familiar with this occasion. But chapter 3 opens with the temptation and then the fall of man when the serpent who was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made, said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? You see, we go back to chapter 2, beginning in verse 8 and reading through the rest of the chapter, and we understand that God has said, You can eat of every tree of the garden, but this one particular tree. And when we open with chapter 3, then Satan is asking the question, do you believe the word of God? Do you trust the word of God? Somebody might say, well, wait a minute, preacher, they didn't have scripture, right? Their Bible wasn't written down yet, and that's true. But what is scripture but the word of God? You see, it didn't take long for God to create the earth and to put man on the earth, and he has given him instructions. He has given him his word. We might say it's not written down as we think about Scripture, but they know what they're supposed to do and not do. And yet the question from Satan there in Genesis chapter 3 is questioning or criticizing Scripture. Do you trust the word of God? Some people only ask questions to try to criticize. Now, when we think about the church, that's absolutely the case, right? Quite often there are people who are simply always only trying to criticize the preacher or the elders or the actions or the activities of the church. Unfortunately, there are people who are like that today. Another way that this is sometimes said, somebody might say, how can a loving God send people to hell? Well, what is that? Is that a, a question they want to know? Again, maybe, maybe sometimes people kind of have that question, but more often than not, that is a question to criticize God, to try to bring God down and to say that it's okay to do what you want to do. It's okay to live how you want to live because if there is a God who would send people to hell, then he must not be all loving. He must not be all kind. 
Heard a preacher say one time, and again, I think this has been passed down over the years, but said that God doesn't send people to hell. He simply honors your choice and where you want to spend eternity because that's what we're doing, right? We have a choice, and we show our choice in how we live. So he doesn't send people to hell. He simply honors our choice and how we've chosen to live. Some people only ask questions to criticize. This is another one that, of course, we kind of reword to make it fit our outline of C words. But some people ask questions to coax others or to try to get people to do what they want to do or to try to get them to make a mistake is another way that we might say this. This certainly happened to Jesus. We preached on this passage not too long ago, Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 12. But in particular, turning to Matthew 19 and looking at verse number 3. As the people come to him, we see again by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, by the pen of Matthew, that the Pharisees came to test him. And they said, a question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And then after Jesus gives his answer, in verse number 7, they said to him, Well, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And what Jesus says is, Whoa, wait a minute. Moses didn't command it, but he permitted it. He allowed it because of the hardness of your hearts. You see, what they're trying to do here by testing him is they're trying to coax Jesus into making a mistake. They're always trying to catch him in something, right? There are other occasions we won't have time to look at this morning in which we see we have an insight into the people who when Jesus questions them back, they say, well, wait a minute, we've got a problem. We're on the horns of a dilemma. We're trying to catch him on the horns of a dilemma, but yet here we are. If we say one thing, we're going to upset the people. If we say something else, we know that it's against the way of God. But they were constantly trying to get Jesus to make a mistake. And sometimes that's what we do in this world as well. We try to coax others into thinking about something. Here's maybe the A number one question. Doesn't God want you to be happy? Fill in the blank with whatever it might be that comes before or after that. But people will ask you when they're trying to get you to do something, doesn't God want you to be happy? And we used this a few weeks ago when we had a lesson together on Sunday morning about marriage. And we made the point towards the end of that lesson that marriage is not about our happiness, although God does want us to be happy within our marriages, but it's not about our happiness, it's about our holiness. God wants you to be happy, but A, number one, he wants you to be holy. Doesn't God want you to be happy? What's that question, which is a bad question, usually trying to get you to do? Well, whatever it is they want you to do, or whatever it is that you want to do. We turn it around a lot of times and ask ourselves, doesn't God want me to be happy? Yes, he does. But he also wants you to be holy. That's what makes it a better question. Next, in the bad question category, some ask questions out of curiosity. 
Some people sometimes ask questions out of curiosity. Now, you may say, wait a minute, preacher, didn't you just talk about this a moment ago with your kids? This doesn't sound like a bad question. And I would suggest that, yes, sometimes being curious about something and asking questions is not necessarily bad. But we have to be careful because sometimes it can sort of be turned around in such a way that it is a bad question. But, yes, sometimes they're asked out of curiosity. In Acts chapter 17, we see this borne out when Paul is entering the city of Athens. And he's going to give a great sermon there on that moment. But before he gets to that sermon at the Areopagus, or as he stands there on Mars Hill, Acts chapter 17, really beginning in verse 16, but verses 16 through 21 lays the foundation of the audience that Paul is talking to. Verse 19, and they, that's the men of the city, the people who are meeting there, they take him and bring him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. Kind of not exactly a question, but verse 20, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. And then in verse 21, for all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Now you get the picture, right? To simply be curious about something as our kids ask us certain questions about life. Why are things a certain way? That's not a bad question, but there are people who are simply only after questions for curiosity's sake without going further. Or again, kind of connected to the other things we've mentioned, maybe just to coax up some feelings, maybe just to criticize, <coughs> maybe just to cause some issues. But sometimes that's why people are asking questions. It seems like these men of Athens are not really concerned for the truth. They are simply, as we sometimes say, kind of gossiping, right? They just want to know the latest and the greatest. They're not after things that are serious, things that will help them from a salvation perspective. They're simply only after the newest thing that they can find out. I was listening to a preacher friend talk about this recently, and he mentioned that he had a, a co-worker or a person he was familiar with through work, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> who had had listened to a lot of gospel preaching for various reasons and, and never really showed an interest in the truth. But one day in particular, came up and asked the question and said, did you know that, that the best day for a, a baby boy to be circumcised is on the eighth day? Did you know that, that it's on that day that these young boys will have the most prothrombin and the, the vitamin K in their body and their blood is, is able to clot and it's the best for them to be circumcised on the eighth day? And of course, the preacher said, well, absolutely, I'm aware of that. Moses didn't just make that up, right? That's something that God told them to do so they would know exactly what to do. It's divine inspiration that helped him know that. And, of course, I think the story continues on that that man really had no interest in learning more than about the truth or about God. <clears throat> it was simply only a question out of curiosity's sake. And that's a good place to open a door sometimes. What about the one at the bottom there? You ever had your kids ask you if Adam and Eve had a belly button? Right? That's one of those that people say, what does that do with anything? What does that have to do with my salvation? Well, please understand, I don't think that's the worst question in the world, right? But we do also understand that doesn't really amount to anything when it comes to obeying the will of God, understanding the will of God. And sometimes there are curious questions that we ask for the sake of fun or trying to maybe kind of stump one another and just maybe laugh a little. 
And yet other times, people are simply only after trying to get a firm answer, and they're never really concerned for the truth, like these men in Athens in Acts chapter 17. All right, let's ask about some good questions before we finish up this morning. Let's ask (coughs) or look at some good questions from the Bible. Number one, some people ask questions out of concern for the truth. Concern for the truth. This is what we're after. Take a step past the curiosity and try to have a concern for the truth. We see this in several places, and you'll see the example mentioned there. The first place is in Mark chapter 4 in verse number 10. As Jesus is speaking to them in parables, we say that we see, excuse me, that when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. What are they doing? They're asking questions, but they're good questions because they're concerned for the truth. They have a concern in trying to get to the deeper meaning of these parables. What about Acts chapter 8, verses 31 through 39? Here, the Ethiopian nobleman is there, and, and and Philip is going to meet him, go to him, and they're going to have this discussion. And as the Ethiopian eunuch is asking these questions, he has questions about Jesus. He has questions that are asked out of concern for the truth. It may be the same opening in your Bible, but in Acts chapter 9 and verse number 6, as Saul is on the road to Damascus, he, trembling and astonished, said to Jesus in this vision, what do you want me to do? You see, sometimes questions are what we call smart aleck questions, right? When somebody says, well, what do you want me to do about it? You know, we're asking sort of not out of interest, but I think that Saul here is asking questions about forgiveness, In the same way, in Acts chapter 2, there on the day of Pentecost, those people said to Peter, what shall we do? We're convicted that we crucified Jesus. We are concerned about forgiveness. What do you want me to do? It's the same attitude of Saul here. And of course, in Acts chapter 16 and verse number 30, Acts chapter 16 and verse number 30, as Paul and Silas have been imprisoned, there's the earthquake and the Philippian jailer is about to take his own life. They stop him. And in verse 30, he has heard them praying and singing all night. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? A good question with a concern for the truth is about salvation. <clears throat> Excuse me, salvation. Questions that have concern for the truth are things that we need to consider. They're questions that sometimes help us on our path. Sometimes people say, well, what does the church of Christ believe about fill in the blank? Some people say, well, what is the church of Christ's position on this? Maybe that's a bad question because the better question might be, what does the Bible say about this particular matter? What does the Bible say about something? That's what we should want to know. What does the Bible say about forgiveness, about Jesus, about salvation? That is what we should be after. Asking good questions out of a concern for the truth. Number two, in the good questions here, some people ask questions to cause people to think, right? They try to get people to think about things, to cultivate, if you will, interest, or to cultivate people and to get them thinking. Sometimes we ask questions today to ask people to think. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, God does this, right? In fact, can I submit to you, I think I've said this before to you, maybe in a, in a sermon. 
When it comes to God asking questions, this is what God always does. Because deity, including Jesus, but deity does not ask questions for information, right? God never asks questions because he doesn't know what's going on. Jesus never asks a question because he doesn't fully understand. Deity does not ask questions for information. But they ask us questions to get us to think. In Genesis chapter 3, after that bad question in verse number 1, in verse number 9, when God calls out to Adam, where are you? This may be the perfect example. Do you know what God doesn't need to know? He doesn't need to know where Adam is because he knows exactly where Adam is. He's not asking for information. He's asking to get Adam to think. And then in verse number 11, who told you that you were naked? Again, God knows. He's not asking for information, but he's asking to get Adam to think about what he has done. Also in the New Testament, of course, Peter and Philip, we might say on behalf of God, right? And as they're speaking and preaching on behalf of God, sort of do this same thing. Acts chapter 3 and verse number 12, as the apostles have been healing people and they've been doing these things, those who are witnessing the lame man who was healed in verse number 11, they're amazed. There's this moment this opportunity for the door to be cracked open. And in verse number 12, Peter says, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? What's he saying? He's trying to get them to think. Where did this come from? It didn't come from us alone. It came by the power of God. And, of course, we already mentioned in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 30, when the Philip meets the Ethiopian nobleman, you know what Philip could have done? Philip could have walked up to him and said, hey, give me your scripture. I know exactly where this is. Just let me tell you what's going on. But what does Philip say? Do you understand what you are reading? He asked a question to get him to think. Maybe one problem we sometimes have is a, a bad way of doing things is we act like we know it all. Here, give me your Bible and let me show you what I know. Maybe a better way, a good question, would be something that would help people and get people to think. Maybe sometimes we have an opportunity when the church helps someone, when the church reaches out to a family who is in need, or a Christian takes a moment to help somebody when they're struggling. <clears throat> Maybe that's an opportunity to ask someone, why do you think they would do that? Not trying to be mean, not trying to be a smart out, but just why do you think that person took the time? Why do you think the church helped give you some money in a time of need, to try to cause them to think about what's been going on and to help them to cultivate an interest in godly things. And then finally this morning, the last thing that we'll mention, some people ask questions to convict. Some people ask questions to convict, try to convict people, not just to get them to think, that's sometimes a good start, but to convict them on what they're thinking. Of course, Jesus did this in Luke chapter 10. Again, what is more than likely one of the most famous parables in all of Scripture, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Do you know what Jesus could have done when he got to the end of that parable? He could have preached, I guess, what we would say, hellfire and brimstone, right? He could have put them in their place and told them how wrong they are. Do you realize how ignorant you are and how much you're messing, this, them messing these things up? But what does Jesus say at the end of verse 36? Which of these three do you think was neighbor to him 
who fell among the thieves. Here's the point. The answer was obvious to everyone. So much so that these people are not able to say the words, the Samaritan, the good Samaritan, because they don't want to say Samaritan, but they are convicted. Jesus could have said, you are wrong. Go and do what's right. But he asked a question to help convict them. And again, the people who are, in a sense, speaking on behalf of Jesus and of God when it comes to preaching in the book of Acts, Paul, well, Stephen, of course, in Acts chapter 7, asked these questions of those men about how they are doing exactly what their fathers did and how wrong they are. And what they do is they stop their ears up and they take Stephen's life. Paul, in a little bit less of a violent or contentious moment, in chapter 26 and verse number 27, asked King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? And, of course, he goes on to say, I know that you do believe. He asked a question to try to convict Agrippa to understand his place in the world and how he is outside of the body of Christ. And so, of course, a perfect way to conclude this lesson is to ask something similar, and that is, are you a Christian today? Not trying to be sarcastic, not trying to be mean, not trying to cause problems, but to simply try to convict us when we are in the wrong. Because if the answer to this question is, you are not a Christian today, you are in the wrong. Not because of what the preacher has done or what I have to say or even because of what the elders have to say here, because of what God has said. Those who are outside of the body of Christ are in danger. And so we, as we conclude every lesson, offer God's simple plan of salvation. And in just a moment, we're about to sing a song of encouragement that you might come to the front if you would like to and make it known in such a way publicly that we can pray with you and for you. In this particular way, if you are here and you're not a child of God and the answer to are you a Christian today is no and you are convicted to make a change, we would help you with that. We'd study with you if you need that this morning. But certainly here as we see on the pages of scripture borne out is God's simple plan of salvation. We sing to encourage you in just a moment that if you're not a Christian that you would be convicted to do the right thing. To put on Christ today in baptism allowing his blood to wash away your sins so that you can be added to the church by the Lord. Maybe you're here and you've done that. Brother or sister, you have been weakened, though, by sin. Sin has separated you from God. And you know what happens then? You are not convicted anymore. You are less convicted. We become hard-hearted. We become desensitized to sin. Maybe you're here this morning and thinking about these questions or thinking about Scripture has helped you to see that you need to be convicted and come back to him. We are thankful that God has blessed us with this opportunity this morning. We're thankful that there are questions that help us think about this life. Maybe you're here and you're not a child of God. Maybe you're here and you need to come back to him. We'll sing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.